السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله أما بعد Welcome to session 9 of the IFG Tafsir Club and for those of you who are tuning in for the first time this is a Tafsir Club where we focus on the finance and business and entrepreneurship uh, aspects of the Quran and the themes that we can uh, bring out from the various ayahs that relate to these topics and uh, if this is uh, something that is beneficial and you find it useful then please do subscribe to either the youtube where we share this tafsir or uh, on our podcast um, as well so in this tafsir is actually quite an interesting one um, not that the other ones aren't but this one in particular i found really interesting and this is going through the verse of albir the verse of righteousness and gives us an indication of the characteristics of those people who are righteous uh, and ultimately will be successful and there are three key things that we will be covering today the first is how our relationship should be like with wealth the second is who we should be spending on and in what order we should be spending that and uh, and this is in relation to charity uh, and then finally how we should be approaching contracts and how we should be approaching making promises and making um, legal or moral obligations with people. But the very first thing I'd like to start with is a story. So Abdurrahman ibn Auf radiallahu anhu was a famous Sahabi, one of the 10 who were given the glad tidings of paradise. So he was one of those people who already knew, frankly, that he was going to paradise. But he was, uh, and, and he was one of those people because of his incredible righteousness, but also his relationship with wealth. And he can be an example for us. And after the passing away of Rasulullah, there was a commotion in Medina one day where the dust, you can imagine the dust is pluming up into clouds. And there's these caravans that appear uh, in a distance. And these caravans keep, uh, and this, uh, these camels as part of the, uh, this caravan keep on coming. And these camels keep on coming into Medina and they're crowding up the streets. And there are literally 10, 20, 100, 200. These camels just keep on coming. And people are running around and it's just uh, absolute bonkers. And there was this huge commotion going on. And Aisha, she came out and she asked what's going on. And they said this is the caravan of Abdurrahman ibn Auf, radiallahu anhu. He has um, this caravan from Sham that has come. And the start of this caravan has literally just hit Medina. Whereas the, the starting point of this caravan is actually leaving Sham right now. That was, the, that was the extent of this caravan. And when we're talking about caravans, in those days, that was the you know the, the wealth of the time. That was like Mark Zuckerberg inventing Facebook was like one caravan. You know, if you these days you've got these um, tech founders who are multi-billionaires. Though in those days you had caravans. And Abdurrahman ibn Auf anhu, he had managed to get this caravan over and without getting robbed, without getting burgled, without his uh, camels falling ill, etc., etc. So this was payday for him, and this was worth literally billions in, in our day and age. And so Abdurrahman ibn Auf was a very happy man at this point. And Aisha radiallahu when she heard this, she said that she remembered the hadith uh, that Rasulullah had said once about Abdurrahman ibn Auf, that he will enter paradise, but he will enter paradise uh, whilst he is crawling. Uh, and Abdurrahman ibn Auf was told that Aisha had said this hadith. Uh, at the time. So he went to Aisha anha and he asked her to tell him this hadith and he said, you know, thank you for reminding me of this hadith that I still remember uh, when Rasulullah said it and I, and I still remember um, the uh, the import of it and the message that, that it carries and, and because of it, I, I really wish that I could enter paradise whilst I'm standing and so because of um, this desire, I'm going to give this entire 700 Hamel's uh, caravan to charity. I'm going to give it to the Baytul Mal. He gave away the entire 700 camels, literally billions in today's money. And that would have been uh, the large majority 
possibly all of his wealth at that time. And Abdurrahman was famous for his charity and his um, uh, munificence. He would give away uh, wealth left, right and center. So what was the, the thing that made Abdurrahman ibn Auf able He was incredibly successful at what he did as a businessman, but then he had a very healthy relationship with his wealth. So that's what we want to look at today, because we in our day and age have, frankly, an unhealthy relationship with our wealth. We worship those with wealth and ascribe great authority to them. Donald Trump, the president of the United States, in part, his authority derives in the eyes of those who vote for him from the wealth that he accumulated. Let's set aside uh, those arguments that say that actually if he had done nothing with his wealth, he would actually have been much richer. So he is in his net effect of him getting involved in his father's wealth was actually to decrease it. But he's a rich man and people respect him for that. Floyd Mayweather, another man who is known literally as Floyd Money Mayweather. And he has these signs of incredible extravagance on his Instagram pages and uh, in his public persona. And people respect that. People look up to that. We worship wealth and we great, ascribe great authority to it. And not only that, we find it really hard to give from our wealth. Abdurrahman ibn Auf, عنه, he gave away a fortune. He gave away all if not nearly all of his wealth and the sahaba their stories are replete with all of these uh cases where the sahaba would give, give away half of their wealth or all of their wealth uthman radiallahu anhu uh, during the ghazwat tabuk he asked the sahaba i desperately need someone to finance this thing is there anyone who can give us um some some wealth who can give us ca camels or horses to carry the soldiers and Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he kept on coming. When the Prophet asked, he kept on coming and he'd give. And the Prophet would ask again and he would give again. And he would ask again and he would give again. And until he had given, uh, I believe, 940 camels, 100 horses, he'd given away 10,000 um, uh, dirham or dinar. He'd given away a fortune. He essentially was the key person who financed the Ghazwa Tabuk. And in, in our day and age, we know how expensive wars are. And in, in those days, it was similar until Rasulullah he said about Abdur, uh, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu that he has given so much that after this day, whatever Abdurrahman, uh, whatever uh, Uthman ibn Affan does, it will not harm him. Subhanallah. So Uthman radiallahu anhu he bought his way essentially to success in the Akhirah. And so the the Sahaba they were people who would give their wealth really easily he would give large chunks of their wealth as well we, they would give wealth until it really hurt them abu bakr when he was asked when he gave away all of his wealth what do you leave for your family and abu bakr said i left allah and his messenger for my family that's the kind of people that we're talking about and, uh, and umar he bought half of his wealth half of his entire wealth he brought and he gave to rasulullah and he was happy about that and he got pipped by abu bakr and yet we, on the other hand, we are people who hoard wealth and we don't spend it. N never mind, you know, thinking about spending all of our wealth or half of our wealth or a quarter of our wealth. We struggle to have these five pound or ten pound uh, direct debits uh, going uh, in our for, uh, from our bank accounts. And we don't spend it um, either. We don't spend our wealth and we don't save it and we live beyond our means. I recently came across a story of a guy who, um, and, and I'm, I'm not going to, um, you know, specify um, who he is, but I'm sure all of you have examples of this in your uh, network as well. And uh, this guy is uh, in debt. He's got his student loan. He's got credit card debt. And he's now weighing up whether or not he should uh, he should buy a nice car. Uh, BMW or a Mercedes, single guy, or he should buy a Rolex, five thousand pounds, ten thousand pounds. Why? 
why why do this well because other people are doing this because it it looks nice it's something flashy to show off um there's a real important principle here setting aside um, the quran and sunnah and islam there's a really important principle here and that is that we should not link our self-worth with the wealth and the especially the ostentatious wealth that we can um, benefit from we should not do that because how how um, insecure is that person who buys these um, these toys uh, cars or watches and other ostentatious signs of wealth literally to let people know that you know look at me I'm a big man I've got lots of money and often really sadly you know these people are not they're not rich they they're buying this stuff on credit and they're they're living a lie and then on the other hand you see genuinely rich people like uh, Warren Buffett and others they they live very simple lives they have uh, completely normal habits and that's because they're completely self-confident in who they are as people and Warren Buffett I think he famously said that there's only two things that's different between me and the average American number one I have a private jet so I will use that whenever I fly and number two whenever I pick up the phone I can ring anyone in the world and they will um, answer my call and those are the two differences everything else you know the TV that he has the car that he drives the house that he owns all of that is pretty much what an average American would have and so you know setting aside the the main theme of our topic our approach um to wealth you know aside from islam and the quran and the sunnah should be one where we don't uh link it to uh, wealth is is not something that defines who we are as individuals and actually now this does link to our topic and that is um wealth should not be seen as the end in itself it should be seen as a means to an end and the end is always going to Jannah and it's earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if our wealth can take us one step closer to that, then we should be doing that. You know, we, we should be spending that wealth. And it really is a test of um, how much taqwa and how much iman and how much bir, how much righteousness we have um, in order that we do that. So let's actually now turn to the verse itself, um, the, the verse of al-bir. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, لَيْسَ الْبِرَّ أَن تُوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ قِبِلَ الْمَشْرِقِ وَالْمَغْرِبِ وَلَكِنَّ الْبِرَّ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالْكِتَابِ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ وَآتَ الْمَالَ عَلَى حُبِّهِ ذَوِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَابْنَ السَّبِيلِ Righteousness is not when you turn your faces towards the east or the west, but true righteousness is in one who believes in Allah, the last day, the angels, the books and the prophets and gives wealth in spite of love for it. So he gives wealth in spite of love for it to relatives, the orphans, the needy, the traveler, those who ask for help and for freeing slaves. When they promise and those who are patient in poverty and hardship and during battle. Those are the ones who have been true, and it is those who are the righteous. So we're going to pick out a few things. Uh, and by the way, Mohsen Patel, the uh, eradicator of bid'ah that is uh, based in Bolton, is uh, on. Uh, when you read this verse, was there uh, any thoughts that you had that um, you'd like to share? Yeah, salikum everyone. Um, so I, when I read this, I was doing the, the pre-reading. And it was really fascinating because you, when you pick out a verse to study um, and you really actually focus just on one verse, 
you kind of you highlight certain things whereas if you'd have read it in a wider context you might have missed certain things and this verse is really interesting to me because it it reads I mean, this is a bad example because Allah's example is much higher, of course. But you know those kind of like motivational quotes that you get on like Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever? Um, This is very much like Allah is telling us what righteousness is. And of course, we um, we all aspire to be righteous, of course, because, you know, that is what is pleasing to Allah. And ultimately, that is what gets us to where we want to be, which is... Um, and uh, it, you know if Allah is setting out a recipe for us then we would be absolutely foolish not to follow it to the T so in many ways holding on to uh, you know studying and holding on to verses like this is absolutely critical in our, uh, to our success um, as Muslims so you know that's why I'm really kind of looking forward to getting something out of this tafsir, not just learning, but actually then implementing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and you know, when I read these verses, I, I genuinely think about how this relates to my life and your life. I mean, we do a lot of uh, business together. We work on IFG together. And when, you know, we, and we, in our corporate lives, we are, working on business related matters day in day out and sometimes it's it's hard to kind of just take a step back and think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the recipe for success he's told us that this is what you do he's given us the example of the prophet who did what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to and then he's given us the example of the sahaba and the tabi'een as well who also did it and so we genuinely need to hold ourselves up to that high standard because if we're not going to hold ourselves up to that high standard, then who are we to complain when we don't get the you know the best results in the akhirah that we possibly could do? So um, you know I, I think that there are certain things in this in this verse that are challenging, that are genuinely challenging for us all, but we need to have an open mind and really think about it. So let me just pick out a few of the key themes that have come out in this verse. The first thing is, this verse was revealed when the Qibla changed and the the, uh, the, the Christians and the Jews and uh, the, the pagans of, of Medina, they were you know, raising questions about this, particularly the Jews were raising questions about this because they said, well, why, why is this Qibla changing and what's this all about when it used to be a Baytul Maqdis now it's in uh, Makkah and some of the Muslims even or the, certainly the hypocrites weren't really happy about this and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he's saying the righteousness is not about where you turn your face to east or west righteousness is something different righteousness is not just the form it's the substance righteousness is not just you doing the physical it's also the spiritual aspect as well it's the metaphysical that really matters if you're if you're going to be righteous then you need to have obviously belief Allah he lists these four qualities in the in the belief but then after that the very first thing that Allah he says righteousness is to give wealth in spite of your love for it Allah he says in another verse of the Quran Beautified for people is a love of that which they desire of women and sons and heaped up sums of gold and silver fine branded horses and cattle until land that is the enjoyment of worldly life the best return and should I tell you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he goes on and he says, shall I inform you of something that is better than that? For those who fear Allah will be gardens in the presence of their Lord beneath which, which rivers flow, wherein they abide eternally and purified spouses and approval from Allah. And Allah is seeing of his servants. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is well aware that we love our wealth, but he is also telling us that despite our love for this wealth, we should give it away. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, uh, there's a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim how the best, the best charity 
is when you give, when you are at that point in time, when you're kind of hoping to get rich and you're fearing poverty and you're kind of trying to make make something work. Like, for example, our time in life, Mohsin and, Mohsin and I, we we're both um, just about starting in our career. We've not made it in, the, in, in any sense of the word. We're not um, millionaires. We're not uh, really, really wealthy. Um, we're not uh, at the pinnacle of our career. We're just starting out. So this is the best point when we should be giving charity because it's hard to give charity at this point, right? When you're saving up for a mortgage, when you've got kids who need to go to school, when uh, you've got uh, you know various different rental requirements or you're paying your Islamic mortgage off or you're um, having to buy a car for the first time and you're having to pay petrol for the uh, commuting costs and all of these things that happen when you're just moving from the stage of being a student to actually living life properly. Uh, and you may not necessarily have hit uh, those senior senior ranks in your profession where you, you hit a lot of money. That's the best time. That's the best time when we should be giving charity. This is an opportunity for us. So that's the first hadith that I'd like to mention. And these hadith, I'm just going to chuck out there as an example of how we should have our relationship to wealth. The other hadith is that a woman once came and she gave a gift to the prophet. She uh, She gave him a uh, a cloth a garment and uh, the prophet bear in mind that he didn't have very many clothes he used to have maybe one or two garments that he would kind of rotate around uh, if one got dirty he'd, he'd uh, wash that and wear the other one and so this was a big deal for him right like someone has given him a garment so then what happened was a sahabi came up to the prophet and he said uh, oh prophet uh, can i have that garment that you're wearing and the prophet he would never refuse people so he went into his house, he changed his clothes, took off the garment and he gave it to the Sahabi. And the other Sahaba around him were just giving him daggers. They were like, what are you on about? What are you doing? And the Prophet ﷺ, he went back into his house and that was all they needed. They pounced on this guy and they said, what, what was that all about? You know the Prophet does not have enough clothes. You know what kind of life he lives. And you go and ask him for his garment. Of course he's going to give you his garment. But he doesn't have very much, does he? And so the man, he said, by Allah, you do not understand why I asked the messenger of Allah for his garment. I asked him for this garment not to wear right now, but because after my death, I wish to be buried and shrouded in that garment with that cloth that Rasulullah wore. I want that to be touching me. That's why he wanted this garment. Subhanallah. Look at his, uh, look at his, you know, his desire uh, to have that barakah. And, and he did. He died and he wore that garment uh, and, he, and he was buried like that. But the, the reason why I mentioned this hadith was how the Prophet ﷺ, in his approach to wealth, if someone came and asked, he'd give it like that. It was very easy for him to do that. He did not have that love for his wealth uh, in, in such a way that it would stop him from giving away from that wealth. And the Prophet, uh, Prophet ﷺ was reflecting the Quran, right? The Quran is the same. Whenever it holds up people uh, in high esteem for giving charity, it mentions that they love it and they give food in spite of their love for it to the miskeen, the orphan, the captive, saying we feed you seeking Allah's face only. We wish for no reward nor thanks from you. So that's a verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising people because they give wealth despite their love for it. And then in the Quran it says, in the fourth juz of the Quran, you will not attain bir. You will not attain righteousness unless you spend of that which you love. We need to feel the pinch, guys. We need to feel the 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 you know that um, that difficulty that pinching point that pain that comes from giving that which we really truly love you will not attain bir you will not attain righteousness the 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 thing that we all want you will not attain that until you feel the pinch how many times is it that we all give charity right we all give charity but how many times is it that we give charity in such a way that we really feel the pinch and we really spend of that which we love and I'm not saying give away all of your wealth every time. I'm not saying that at all. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in Surah Furqan, he says, those who when they spend from their wealth they are not um, those who do israf they don't spend extravagantly but then at the same time they're not miserly uh, and they you know they hoard up all of their wealth but they take a middling path between the two things so uh, i'm not saying that every time we should spend from all of our wealth at all costs no i'm not saying that what i am saying is that sometimes we do need to spend that little bit more in order for us to attain bir and then uh, allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he talks about the people uh, who spend those who spend in allah's cause cause in prosperity and in adversity uh, in prosperity and in adversity we need to be spending at all times and and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he talks about people uh Prophet when he asked for this wealth to be given for uh, ghazwa um certain people they came and they would give that wealth even though they desperately needed it themselves and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentioned them in the Quran he said and give them preference uh and they these people they give them them preference over themselves even though they were in need of that money themselves uh, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has mentioned them and he has celebrated them in the Quran. So those are the examples in front of us. It's very clear. And a lot of these examples we will have heard of ourselves. So what should our relationship be like then with wealth? Well, our relationship with wealth should firstly be one of seeing it as a means to an end and not ascribing value to it in of itself. We should have this middling path between extravagance and miserliness. It must be between extreme attachment and not valuing it at all. And at the same time, we need to be thankful for the wealth that we have been given because we are not responsible for the risk that we've been given. That was written for us long, long before, 10,000, 50,000 years, I believe, years before um, creation even started. That was written in Lawh al-Mahfud and it's there and it's already um, decreed for us. We're not amazing people that we're uh, thankfully living in uh, the 21st century and we're thankfully in the top 1% of people with in terms of wealth and in terms of access to um, free education and the NHS and what have you. It's not our doing that we are there. And so we must be incredibly thankful for that wealth. Uh, and incredibly thankful for that opportunity because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is giving us a test. Having wealth is a test. And that's the next point that I want to make. Having wealth is a test, just like not having wealth is a test. And actually, sometimes not having wealth might be an easier test. And people don't realize this. There was, um, you know, you, you listen to people who are very rich and they've got their own problems um, to deal with. They've got problems about um, uh, depression and anxiety. You know, you have that much wealth, you almost become dull um, because of how easy everything has become. You can just go out and you can just spend and you can buy the best toys and you can get the best things in the world, eat the best food in the best restaurants. And after a while, your sensations and the ability to feel and the ability to be real become dulled. And that's not me saying this, by the way, that's me having listened to. Um, various rich people talking about this. Um, so, so that's something we need to be really cognizant of, that actually our wealth, just like everything else, is a test and we must see it that way. And then finally, we must be willing to risk heavily for charity and we mustn't feel like we've lost it uh, at all. Because Rasulullah he said that, uh, he asked Aisha Radhanha, about this uh, meat, this lamb that was given in charity and it was being distributed to the poor. And he asked how much of it was left. And she said, all, all of it's been distributed apart from this uh, this uh, portion of lamb, I think the shoulder of the lamb. And he said, no, but actually it's the other way around. So everything else remains apart from that uh, shoulder of the lamb. And what he meant by that was that actually that, uh, that um, charity that has been given is the real value that we are getting out of this and that's gone into the akhirah and that'll be waiting for us there 
and and that's an important point because you know when we give from our wealth from which we can buy really nice stuff in this dunya we are saying to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala oh allah this is our belief in you and the akhirah this is our belief that we're actually going to get it back afterwards because what other point would there be of silently and without any ostentation giving charity uh, to people that we may never see again um, online or whatever however we do it what other point would there be there would be no other point and so it's a really really important way of achieving that bir that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we will only achieve if we spend from it so that's the first um, topic that I wanted to touch upon Mohsin uh, is there any uh, thoughts that you had yes yeah, so I, I was just thinking as you were um, commenting there about, you know how you said about feeling the pinch um, and all of the various other stuff. And I was just thinking about practically how could we make a change in our lives? And in a way, I suppose there's two things. One is that um, this idea of, uh, you know, regularity and Allah loves, uh, you know, regular deeds, even though they might be relatively small. Um, But at the same time, uh, you know, trying to bring in what you mentioned about actually feeling the pinch. And I was thinking about, wouldn't it be a good idea and keen to hear your thoughts on this, if we sat down with, like, let's say, the last three months bank statements and actually analysed how much we spent on things like coffee, expensive lunches and stuff like that. And mm. even just sacrificing half of that to a regular donation and saying, okay, I'm going to cut back a little bit on these extraneous expenses, um, but set up what is going to be a relatively sizable monthly donation. And I'm clearly not going to miss the money. Um, But that way you set up that regular deed. And then maybe every now and again, whenever, you know, according to each individual's capacity, you can, uh, you know, you might come across something that you really want to um, give some charity to. That, that might be quite sizable. So it might be someone that's, I don't know, building a well in Africa or, you know, maybe someone in your extended family is going through a difficult time or something like that, where, you know, you might need to give um, a sizable sum and that's where you feel the pinch. So, right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree completely. I think that's a really good idea. Um, I think I might um, give that a go. I wonder what that would come to. It's an interesting thought. Um, but you know what, Mohsin, I think what you've just said links really nicely onto the next point that I want to make, and that's who we should be giving our wealth to and how we should be prioritizing between them. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions people, he mentions them in a specific order. And he says, the very first people he says, the will qurba, those who are near to us. Those who are from our relatives, the, the will qurba. And then after that, he talks about the other categories. We sometimes miss the wood for the trees. We don't spend on our families. We don't spend on our kids or our wife or our parents uh, or our cousins or our extended family. We want to spend, um, you know, as, as you said, building wells in Africa. That seems to be like the natural thing to do these days. You know, we want to build wells in Africa. We want to spend money far away in other countries and yet there are people within our core family maybe not in the uk but actually maybe in pakistan or india wherever we're from where they are in genuine uh difficulty and we should be spending our money there first uh, the best um so Salam, he, he, ha- he says that the, the sadaqah given to the poor is a charity right but then the sadaqah that is given to a relative is doubly beneficial because it's both a sadaqah and it's a way of doing silat al-rahim, which is uh, strengthening the ties of kinship and strengthening the ties of family um, between them. For they are the most deserving, he says, of you and your kindness and charity. They're the most deserving people. And yet sometimes we miss the wood for the trees. And and you know what? This, this is not just for charity. This is also for time. There are some people who might be listening to this tafsir who do a lot of hard work. And uh, you know what? I, I would count us amongst this as well, uh, Mohsin as well, that you know you might do stuff for the community. You might do stuff for the Muslim ummah. 
but then the people who are most deserving of your um, your time and your efforts and your money are actually your children and your family. And so perhaps we should be spending uh, in a more efficient way in the way that the Quran and the Hadith tell us to. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is that there are concentric circles of how we should be spending. And the first circle is the people who are closest to us. And after that, the the uh, the, the verse mentions the Qurba wal Yatama, the orphans. So this verse is giving us a little uh, a little manifesto on how we should be building a society, how we should be real building a community. It tells us start from those you you know you are responsible for your kids and your wife and your family. But then after that, look after those who have no one else. Look after look out for them, the orphans, those who don't who don't have parents. And Prophet he said uh, that he, he held up his two fingers and they were completely joined together. And he says, I and the one who looks after the orphan will be like this in paradise. And that's because the orphans are completely dependent on someone else to uh, you know, look after them because they're kids. Right. They don't have anyone to uh, look out for them on, or bring them up, even give them tarbiyah, anything like that. And so that, that's, a se- that's a second thing that uh, the, the verse mentions. We need to look out for those people in our community who really uh, need our help. And without our help, they will, you know, they will really struggle. And then after that, it says, um, those who are um, poor, who don't have enough to sustain themselves day to day. So the refugees in our society, those who go to food banks, and there are many thousands, tens of thousands uh, of people who use food banks every day. Uh, you know, we should be helping them out. And then after that, the concentric circle gets wider and wider. The traveler who is struggling, who might be passing through the UK and who's uh, become um, stuck for whatever reason, we need to help them out. Uh, and then after that, we, we, we give to the person who actually asks us for money. And then we give to free um, the prisoners. And there are many people who are stuck in all sorts of real difficulties uh, in even today's world like Guantanamo Bay was uh, is I believe still open and people are still stuck there and there are all sorts of uh, other examples where people are uh, prisoners and they're stuck and uh, it's almost like a it, it is very much a political uh, um, giving that we would be giving uh, at that point and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is saying that you do that so you're thinking internationally then at that point and uh, and notice that's the last thing that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions. It starts very, very nuclear and then it gets broader and broader and broader. And yet, unfortunately, we are the other way around in that we will start very broad and then we'll work our way in and we might not ever work our way in. And then the, the final thing I really want to say on this topic is that we have institutions. We are a nation, a Roshan, uh, who founded five five pillars. Uh, said this in our previous podcast where he said that people told him that we are a community who give to charitable causes not to institutions or political causes or anything like that but that is so myopic that is the height in my view of stupidity and the height of in my view um, being short-sighted because there are institutions in in the uk who are fighting for our rights and yet we are not supporting them. We are happy to give to uh, far-flung uh, locations. And, and I'm not saying, by the way, that don't do that. Do do that. And I, I personally do do that as well. But it must not come at the sacrifice of uh, giving to local uh, charities as well. Because that is what your responsibility is, to look after your local community. That's what comes first. Why are you giving to other people in far-flung locations when you're not even sorting out what's local here? There are charities, there are institutions like MEND, for example, Muslim Engagement and Development, who are fighting against Islamophobia, who are fighting on uh, media representation of Muslims, political representation of Muslims, and they, they provide legal services through the Islamophobia Response Unit. These are people that are fighting for you often uh, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who run these organizations and they're fighting uh, for the Muslim community in the UK. And they are struggling 
or donations because Muslims are rather they would rather give to other uh, other causes. And yet, when the when it when the um, you know the, the the troubles arise when you are uh, subject to discrimination and you are subject to a hate crime, then who do you turn to? You turn to these organisations. Well, why don't you start uh, donating to these organizations? Why don't we all start donating to these organizations? Because they are like an insurance for us. They're, you know, it's not just a charity. It's almost like an insurance for us. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has stressed that you start locally because you know what is important in your local community that you can give to. And, and I can see that there are organizations like MEND. There are organizations like, you know, Five Pillars. There are organizations um, multiple organizations across the uk that are doing incredible nzf is another fantastic organization that helps uh very local you know very locally focused um uh, in in a very locally focused giving uh and, and and helps people who are struggling in the uk and and yet these are the organizations that sometimes get overlooked and we go for these far-flung locations so there are institutions today in the uk that are fighting for you and that are struggling to stay afloat sort them out guys because it will be our neck on the line on the day of judgment because these guys they're doing it right they're going out and they're asking for the um for charity they're asking for help and if we're not ha helping them then you know what leg do we have to stand on frankly on the day of judgment um i don't know Mohsin, uh if after that um <laughs> slight rant if uh you've got anything to add on that um or if you just want to have a yeah anything. yeah i mean you, you've triggered two two thoughts. Um, really interesting observations, I thought, on the whole kind of institutional element, because when we think, you're right, when we think of charity, um, for whatever reason, whether it's kind of adverts on TV or, I don't know, when you think about kind of, say, Ramadan, Islam channel kind of fundraisers, you get these far-flung charities from all across the world. That's just what we associate charity with. But we would do very well as a community, especially in the UK, um, and I'm sure for our international listeners and, and viewers, there are you know organisations in the US or wherever our uh, wherever our people are, and we would do very well to examine what is going on in our areas and what people are up to in terms of organisations and donating not just money. Um, but as you quite rightly mentioned, uh, you know, actually volunteering as well, because donating isn't just money, it's also your time. So I think that's that's a really good point to take away, you know, in terms of examining what's what's really going on in your locality um, institutionally and actually supporting them one way or another. And then I had a question for you, actually, Ibrahim, um, which was when we talk about organisations, there are a bunch of organizations that I can think of. Um, yeah. And some of them are, and this is a question I've, I've, I've had really for a long time, but never really had a sensible kind of view on it. Um, there are organizations which are not Muslim led or they're not kind of Muslim or Islamic in their uh, dealings, i.e. they're not focused around Muslims. What do you say about where donating to organizations like that fits into the whole kind of circle as you kind of put it good question ultimately we are as muslims told you know we we need to give zakat to muslims but sadaqah can be given to anyone right so uh that would from a technical perspective it's perfectly permissible to give to charities that have uh a you know non-muslim focus or run by non-muslims that's perfectly fine i think given where we are uh especially as a minority in a muslim country i think that it would be um it would be possibly wrong of us if we are uh looking to give um to people outside of our community i mean i i personally um would want to support the muslim community first and because i think that's my responsibility there's only two and a half million muslims in the uk and if we're not going to look out for each other, then, you know, it's not other people's responsibility to do that. Uh, and also, frankly, I think there's there's a um, PR benefit that comes from, uh, you know, giving uh, and, and ha having Muslim charities uh, and to show that Muslims are very charitable individuals. And, and that 
is not going to happen if we start giving to mainstream charities. Uh, or, or perhaps if we do give to mainstream charities, we should um, show that we are giving that wealth so that people recognize Muslims and Islam as a very charitable religion, um, in which case I think that's that's fine as well. And I know certain mosques, I know your local mosque in uh, in Bolton does that, where every year they give to the local hospital um, in Bolton. And I think that's a fantastic way of uh, building community ties and and the the um, one of the, the key reasons why uh, people are asked to give to that cause to the local hospital is because uh, there are so many Muslims who live in Bolton in that uh, the money raised and the machines that are bought will actually directly help the Muslim community. So I think long story short, I'm saying that, you know, in, in the ideal world, we would give to Muslims, non-Muslims, and we, and we should, by the way, we should give to non-Muslim charities um, where, where, like, for example, my mum, if, if any charity comes to her door, it's a non-Muslim charity as well, she will give to that non-Muslim charity unless it's a, I don't know, a Christian charity or, um, you know, there, there's a charity that has a, a proselytizing element to it, then she might be hesitant, but she would give to other charities. And that, I think that's a good da'wah uh, technique as well um, to give to those charities. But um, I think pr primarily our responsibility should be um, towards the Muslim community, given that we are such a minority at this time. Uh, so turning to the final topic, and that's um, so the, the 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 topic of um, how we should approach contracts. So the verse talks about those who establish prayer and give zakat after the charity, and then after that it says those who fulfil their promise when they promise. That is the focus of our next topic, and and it's a very important topic which I think is often overlooked. There's a very famous hadith about how the signs of a hypocrite are three. If he speaks, he lies. If he promises, he breaks his promise. And if he is entrusted, he breaches the trust. And we should think about all of the different promises, the moral or legal promises that we are engaging in day to day. Muslims are known to be late. And it's, it's almost like a joke where any Muslim event will start 15, 20, 30 minutes late. What's going on there, guys? You, you have uh, often promised, you said you're going to turn up on time, and that's the agreement, and then you turn up late. And I say that to myself first, right? This is a way of showing respect, and this is a way of showing um, your, uh, your appreciation and understanding of and respect for the social dynamics and the social rules that we have. And you're saying, no, I'm going to turn up whenever I want to. If you've committed to coming at X time, then you should come at X time, because otherwise there's that hadith, right? And if he speaks, he lies. If he promises, he breaks his promise. And the hypocrite is one when the Quran describes it as uh, the one who will be in fiddarkil asfali minan nar. He will be in the lowest point of hellfire. And the Quran is uh, establishing how, um, how lowly and how bad a hypocrite is seen in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when, when, when the Quran says that. And so why are we turning up late? How many, how many Muslims rent a house and then don't maintain the house? How many Muslims take advantage of the uh, you know the various social benefits that we get and, and the uh, and the various benefits we can get from the council and they try and embezzle the council. That's a social contract, guys. I mean, why are we why are we uh, embezzling uh, from that? That's something we'll be uh, questioned about. How many Muslims contract to do something and then renege on that promise? Why is it that people like to? Uh, you know, when you're looking for a handyman or someone to do something around the house, you know, if you get a white guy, generally he'll have uh, better akhlaq. He'll probably be a little bit pricier. He'll do a decent job. He'll actually be qualified to do the job, and he'll generally do it on time. And he'll stick to the uh, and he'll stick to the contract. And then if you get a Muslim to do it, you know, they'll be they'll probably be cheaper. They'll they'll probably turn up late. They'll have lots of other you know hidden costs that might come up. Uh, the contract might not be upheld. 
um, you might have arguments with them. There'll be some kind of like, oh, don't worry about it, brother. You know, we'll sort sort you out going on. You know, I'm not speaking, uh, you know, uh, something that we don't all know, right? When we ask for uh, a Muslim contractor versus a non-Muslim contractor, there's a difference. And we have a choice to make and we make that choice. And sometimes you go for the non-Muslim guy and sometimes you go for the Muslim guy. Rare is it that we find a Muslim contractor who's actually really mean. He's really trustworthy. He's really qualified at what he does and he does it really well. Why is that? When the Quran is saying that when people promise, when Muslims contract, they should do what they contract to do. Why is that the case? Why are the Muslims known as the least trustworthy in business? Why are they the ones where you're always uh, going in and, and you're finding out that the credit card machine, the, the card machine isn't working because they want to deal in cash and they want to avoid the tax? Why is that? And why is it that uh, Muslim businesses, they uh, are always trying to cut corners and they're always seen as a bit, bit lower in quality, etc., etc.? And why is it that when, when it's business to business relationships that uh, many Muslim businesses, they don't pay up on time? They're the worst when it comes to getting your uh, getting your debts paid. It's just trying to get like it's trying to get uh, money out of a rock. Why is that the case? When the Quran is saying that you should, um, uh, when the Quran is saying that those who, when they make a promise, they uphold that promise. That is bir. That's what we want to get, right? That's what we want, righteousness. And we don't want to be uh, from the hypocrites. And that's where we're kind of heading. And why is it that? Muslims are the ones who don't really respect confidentiality obligations when we have a contract. You know, we, we each of us, I think, would fall into some of these categories that I've just listed. Uh, and I'm not excluding myself in this either. We, when we make a contract, a moral contract, legal contract, a verbal contract um, or agreement, we are doing something that has a really profound spiritual element to it. It's a very profound spiritual dynamic to it. And the moment when we go against that, the moment when we decide that we are going to renege on that and we're going to put our desires before what we have um, bound ourselves to do, we cheapen the word of a Muslim. We go against the Quran and we also have an impact on the wider community where we propagate and perpetuate this idea of Muslims being dodgy businessmen. And when that idea perpetuates, then that's not helpful for the Muslim community because then people don't want to be counterparties to you in business. And when people don't want to be counterparties to you in business, you lose out opportunities. And that generally means that you lose out in the ability to grow and the ability to make more profit. So this is not beneficial for anyone, uh, frankly. So um, I, I don't know, Mohsen, if you've got any, any thoughts on that, um, because then after that, it'll just be talking about the goals. Yeah, no, completely agree with you. And just to kind of put a positive spin on all of that, imagine imagine a society where we did uphold that verse, i.e. a world where Muslims do do what they promise to do. So yeah. basically the reverse of everything that you've just said. So, you know, if we're selling a car, we describe it exactly as it is. Um, yeah. You know, there's nobody that needs to, you know, get some engineer to check that the mileage hasn't been clocked or something. Um, a world yeah. where someone takes a Muslim at their face value because they've said it, so it must be true. And imagine the effect that that has then on, you know, in terms of dawah purposes um, and, you know, frankly, just just general PR. And, and, and the perception of Muslims. And what, what can we do as individuals? Well, we can uphold that verse the best that we can and understand that everything that we do has an impact on the wider society's perception of not just you, but Muslims. Because we have to accept that, especially as a minority, people, they look at their dealings with you as a representation of that minority. We don't do that with uh, non-Muslims because non-Muslims are the majority, right. but we're probably guilty of doing that with other minorities as well. Um, and I suppose in many ways, it's just natural human behavior. So 
in terms of our individual lives, we should understand that these kind of microcosms of activity that we have, these can be forms of ibadah as well. If we if we go into things sincerely and with the intention that no, I'm not going to cut this corner because Allah has warned against this in the Quran and there is an impact of me cutting this particular corner even though it might benefit me by 50 quid 100 quid you know it might even be a 10 20 30 40 yeah. 50 grand benefit but you've got to understand that this is not what is righteous and it has an effect agreed agreed jazakallah khair um and i think this kind of leads nicely on to what do we do then what do we do guys how are we going to become righteous? So I've got three ideas. Uh, most and feel free to chip in any ideas. Well, you, you already have chucked in a few ideas. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm going to eat any Wagyu burgers from now on because that 10, 12 pounds is going to be donated to charity, right? So you've already you've already made a, 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 a vital contribution. Um, but in terms of the goals that we should have, I think the first is that we should rebalance our approach to wealth. It's a tool and we should turn it to good. Think about your wealth and think about how you can use it most effectively and efficiently and turn it to good. And don't turn it to good after you die. Turn it to good now. Use it in a way that is beneficial for Muslims and non-Muslims now rather than later and the second thing is spend locally spend efficiently and strategically on things that are going to benefit the muslim community and uh, the local community the most it doesn't have to be muslims as Muslim rightly pointed out but spend efficiently and effectively and spend locally and then finally Respect your word, respect your contracts, because if you don't do that, then how would you expect anyone to respect the Muslim community otherwise? Any, any, anything to add there, Mohsin? No, I think that's, um, I think that's, that's, those are really good points. And obviously we've covered a few uh, generally. And actually something just came to mind um, and I'm going to embarrass my, my, my sister a little bit here because um i'm publicizing a good deed but it, it ties in very nicely with this and it should be publicized because it, it should be encouraged um she recently um undertook a kind of uh process to start volunteering at the hospital and i thought that was quite interesting because i've not really heard of many people doing that especially muslim yeah. um yeah. but i was thinking about as you termed it before the pr effect of that and you know it's a generalization but generally speaking in in a bolton hospital you'll have kind of old white people non-muslim you know very kind of stuck in their ways and what what better way really than to help people in their time of need and completely change the perception and who knows what what kind of light allah would put into somebody's heart through that sort of action so sometimes it's not it's not just your money, but it's actually thinking about original ways that we can help people. I mean, we all have neighbors, for example, that where you know we might be friendly with them, we might not be friendly with them, but even small actions like you know reaching out to a neighbor every now and again, asking if they're if they're all right when it's cold, or sending them a plate of food and stuff like that can have really profound impact. Agreed, agreed completely. I think I think we. Uh... We desperately, desperately need to do that. Um, and, and, you know, by the way, when I said that you should focus on the local community, that, that definitely includes non-Muslims because, uh, you know, what, what better da'wah, but not just da'wah, what, what better humanity is it um, than to help out in a local hospital or to help out in a local elderly care home where other people have abandoned these people or in a local hospice there's some fantastic charities like the myriad foundation in manchester um specifically who spring to mind and and others as well i'm sure around the country who are doing this incredibly good work 
uh, and who are doing this day in day out um, and so we should be getting involved in that as well not just through our our money but also through our time uh, but jazakallah khairan for everyone who's um, tuned in tuned into this um, and let me just reiterate that you know if you uh, if you enjoyed this if you benefited from it then please do share it do subscribe to our channel do uh, follow our podcast and do leave uh, a review and and do leave your thoughts and your um, ideas and your comments below because that's naturally interesting for us but also i think it benefits us uh, as well and it benefits uh, future readers and future listeners as well so jazakallah khairan uh, from both mohsen and i and assalamu alaikum